the ideas in the book, um, I think, help people to get past the notion that God either caused the horrible things that happened to them or even allowed it. But then part of the book is, how are we going to think about God as a healer? Why don't you fix me? I can't help myself. Why don't you fix me? You know I'm fading still. Hey, Ragamuffins. Welcome to episode two of the Redheaded Ragamuffin. Today I'm talking with Thomas J. Ord. He's a theologian, philosopher, and scholar. He's a best-selling and award-winning author, having written or edited more than 25 books. He's the director of the Center for Open and Relational Theology. You can find him at thomasjord.com or just Google his name. He's a big deal. Oh, ragamuffins, you're going to learn something today. Here's Thomas J. Ord. Thank you. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on this podcast for The Broken. And... um. Just if, in case I get so nervous that I forget to say this, <laughs> I have to tell you, I have to tell you, thank you so much for writing this book because oh. I can just, I could, especially when you were reading it, narrating it, I can just see your heart. I can feel mm. like your compassion for the broken people. Mm. And it just meant so much to me. I can't even tell you because I have, I don't know if I've been hanging in the wrong circles my whole life or what, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, I was in reform, you know, I was in reformed crowd for a long time uh-huh. and the, the guys, I'm not going to say they were all not nice, but sometimes it would just be like, if they did look at you in the eye, <laughs> I don't know. They almost acted afraid to, but if they did, it was almost like they were looking at you like, go get me a drink or something like that. You know, like some kind of, I don't know. It was weird. But lately, lately, the Lord has really brought into my life just men that have really, I just, I can't even believe they exist. And I know I married one, but I thought he was the only one out there. <laughs> I mean, I know there were a few, but I'm really yeah. running into a lot. And it just, it's so healing for me to, to see it, to see men like fighting for women or like just sticking up for us. I don't even know how to explain it. Um, yeah, just yeah. the whole stuff in the church right now with the women, you know, not being able to, to, to go home. <laughs> yeah, the women should go yeah. home. All of that. And then just, I don't know, just to have somebody like you that is so, I don't know, just, I don't know. I I read your Wikipedia, okay? (laughs) So it's just, (laughs) it's crazy to, I don't know, to see your compassion. And I thought, and when I was reading the book, the first time I thought, well, I'm going to find out that he has, he must have been through such suffering or something has happened to this man to make him so compassionate. And really it did, because I read at the end, I know that you've been through a lot at the end of the book, you talk about that, but I, I think it's just something, it might be like just your temperament. I don't know. You're just one of those people that have gift of compassion. I don't oh, know. thanks. I, I, I don't feel it. like it's a gift. I feel like it's something I've had to work hard at because uh, I don't, I don't feel like I'm naturally disposed toward that, but well, it can I, feel like a burden sometimes too. Cause you feel the empathy, the pain. Yeah. No, so it doesn't feel like a gift in that way, I bet. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah. Well, actually, to be honest, you know, I'm not as empath. Well, I'm much more empathetic today than I was in the past. Um, and it's something that I've had to work at. And it's something that my theology has shaped in me. Um, you were comparing 
your past and some of the uh, circles you ran in and the theological tradition. I really truly believe that if you start with love with your theology, you come out at a very different place, a place that affirms women rather than t tells them to go home, a place yeah. that is empathetic toward those who hurt deeply, even if you know you haven't hurt in the exact same way. I think if you start with love, it just shapes the way you think and the way you act. At least it, hopefully it does. Over time, I, I hope it does. And I hope it's doing that in me. You would think it would. I mean, it's almost like just being more like Christ. I mean, I remember a Bible study I did one time. It was the mind of Christ, how to have the mind of Christ. Mm -hmm. And it taught you to think like Jesus. And it was years ago before I was a Calvinist. <laughs> That's terrible <laughs> to say. But I remember that. And if you see with his eyes, you will be like that. You'll you'll feel like he does. You'll care and be Christ-like. And I see that. I totally see that in you. And it's just oh, been thank so... You healing to me to read your book and to especially to listen to it i don't know why it just really came alive it must be something about you know the narrator i remember one time listening to the bible on cd about 15 years ago it was max mclean i think his name is i hope i got that right i was thinking yeah but he had the most just melodic just powerful just really? <laughs> and he was, we were reading through the old testament and i was scared to death oh. <laughs> i was driving on the highway and i'm like any minute oh. something's gonna hit me you yeah. know it was just the old testament passages and it was just the narration really it just comes alive especially when an author writes you know they are reading their own book yeah i agree with you comes out. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's something about hearing the author do it, uh, even when the author is doesn't necessarily have a great voice or, you know, is not as smooth as a professional, uh, you, you get a sense of their passion, their heart. Um, and so I like to listen to other authors do theirs instead of professionals. Yes, that's great. I love that, too. And one of the first times I, I know it was a podcast I heard you on first, and I remember they said you wrote this book called God Can't. And I thought, oh, it always drove me crazy. As a, as a person who was reformed even years ago, I studied under R.C. Sproul a lot. And he, would, he was so adamant about things that God cannot do. And so every time someone would say, God can't, God can do anything, you know, <laughs> it was, they would say that God can do anything when they, yeah. and I would think, no, there's things he can't do. Like he can't lie. He can't die. He can't right. create another God like himself because he was not created. So he can't do that. And you, you know, you came up, you had other ones like God never gets tired in Isaiah forty twenty nine, And then he, the best one I love is the second Timothy two thirteen. He, you know, when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. And yeah. in the book, you said something like this God is not subject to, to anyone or something. And I thought God is subject to himself. Right, he has to be right. faithful. And it was just, oh, was like, you know, paradigm shift. Good, good. So well, good. There's, you know, there's some people who do agree with me that God can't do some things. But the way they talk, it sounds like God is uh, constrained by external factors or forces or actors like maybe the devil or the laws of nature or some philosophers talk about metaphysical laws and it sounds like god is sort of in a trap and you know all these things are are forcing god to do certain things and you know it's not it's external sort of pressures and i i don't think that's a good way to think a uh, more common view 
is that God voluntarily chooses not to control others, even though God could. And as I point out in the book, that that's behind the usual phrases you hear from people that say, you know, well, God allowed that horrible thing to happen, or God permitted that rape because it's somehow a part of God's will. And that just makes no sense to me. So saying that God is constrained or shaped or uh, that God can't do things because of God's own nature of love, I think is a really new paradigm for people. It is. I mean, there is no love without freedom. If anyone that's listening has ever been in an abusive relationship, you know mm. that it's just not possible. That control, mm. that coercion, it's just not love. And that's yep. not how God is. And I know there's a C.S. Lewis quote about that, about free will and like the God limited his own power. And that's just making that shows God's powerful, but he doesn't want robots. He wanted relationship. He actually wants, he actually has a personality, <laughs> you know, he actually is a person, you know, yeah. like Jesus Christ. And so it, it just takes it to a whole nother level. I always feared God. I mean, expect, not in the very beginning when I got saved, but when yeah. I um, just started being reformed theology, I was, I feared God and I would always just kind of be so thankful for Jesus. Like he's, you saved me from your scary dad. <laughs> you know, it was like, <laughs> like, thank you Lord for taking, you know, doing all, you know, suffering and all this punishment you, you know, took and that he was going to do that to me, you know, that I was going to have to suffer and he took it. So I was too afraid to really, yeah, I would even pray. It would always be to Jesus. It wouldn't be God. And yep. it would, it would always be, and I would pray to Jesus in Jesus' name. <laughs> so yeah, it was yeah. interesting because I was just kind of afraid of God. And uh, I didn't really realize that, though, until, you know, the deconstruction process, ha process started happening. Um, and it's the craziest thing. I was just reading the Bible, you know. Oh. I was reading I was reading a different translation, though. I, of course, could never read the likes of the Message or the Living Bible. Yeah. You know, being reformed. <laughs> yeah. So one day I just thought, I'm going to pick up this Living Bible. And my dad had a garage sale, and it was in my dad's garage sale. It was so funny. I thought, I want to take this. It's somebody in the families. And I just started reading it, and the characters came to life. All of a sudden, they were people. Yeah. You know, these were not comic book characters. They were actual people. And I started having compassion even for like Jezebel. I mean, that was crazy. Mm, I was just yeah, like, yeah. well, look what she went through. And, you know, she was trying to survive. And exactly. I just started to yeah. change. And it was it was so surreal when it happened. But and then I started listening to some podcasts, deconstruction type ones, and yeah. just had a really major paradigm shift. And And yours has been, it's been so... I mean, it takes it to a whole another level. It is the ultimate paradigm shift for a Cal and you know an old Calvinist yeah. to have. And I and I read the Ragamuffin Gospel too, and that's that's what really switched that's a good on book. my brain. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. And, well, I tell you, there are a number of former Calvinists who have read my book, and it's changed the way they think. So uh, you're not the only one. I mean, I'd like to say they're the majority, but that's not true. <laughs> but uh, yeah. you know, I think. Living that kind of way and thinking that kind of way leads you, at least most of the time, it leads people to a um, an unsatisfying life, an unsatisfying uh, vision of reality and purpose. And I'm not mm -hmm. saying all Reformed people have this, I'm but I think the sort of the hardcore Calvinist kind of approach, 
I just time and time again see people who embrace that way of thinking and living, just having miserable lives. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. No, you do become a fatalist. I mean, well, some of us, you, you don't, you don't think it's going to happen, but when you know that God is in control of every single thing, right. I mean, you just, eventually you stop trying. You really do like, well, for me, I did. And I needed that. I studied systematic theology and I needed this neat box. And it's so funny because I wasn't even allowed to have it at the church. I was at 15 years ago. My husband was given one you know, uh, and I wasn't supposed to even be able to, they were doing a men's study and the men got the big Wayne Grudem, you know, the big book yeah. and God in a box is what I call it. And, <laughs> and I read that big thing and I don't know if my husband ever read it, but he, he's the one who's allowed to read it, but it does like, you don't want to become a fatalist. You, you, but you do. I did. I did. And, and I know this RC Sproul quote just haunts me. He said, if God is not sovereign, then God is not God. Yeah. And that just <laughs> so haunted me. You know, he had, he was very, um, very well spoken <laughs> and yeah, he had voice and melodic, you know. Yeah. He's got a way with words. I mean, I think sure he's does. wrong on a lot of things, but I got to hand mm -hmm. it to him. He's a wordsmith and he's a craft uh, or master communicator. Yeah. And he, he really did have compassion and humility. Um, I saw it. I saw it a lot and I could never say anything bad about him. But I know yeah. there's this one, this one time it was, he was asking, like, basically, if you're not, if you believe, well, let's talk about the Westminster chapter three, the confession, if God preordains all things and he asked the class and then people's hands that went up for no we don't believe he, he ordains all things well he had previously asked if there were if there were any atheists in the room and then mm -hmm. when he asked that he said well you should have raised your hand with that because you really don't believe in you know god <laughs> <It really was. laughs> he has to be all powerful he has to be you know all of these things to qualify as god and <laughs> that's just so he's he's really good you know with that kind of stuff it yeah. was like and since, since he was humble and kind it was easier for me to trust you know his yeah. stuff and and I did, and I was a Berean type that did look for myself, but I needed a box to climb it. I needed a safety box. Systematic theology is all about order, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. it's something I never had growing up and it just had a lot of trauma uh, and stuff. And so I needed that order. It, was, mm -hmm. it felt safe. It felt so mm -hmm. safe. But this process theology, it doesn't, it, it feels, it's like God is persuasive, but not coercive. And right. that is just what could be, I mean, that I feel like is safer because he's not, he's not coercive. I think and, so too, but some other people will disagree with us. I mean, as okay. you know, some people really want a God who buttons down every last event and is in control of everything. And, you know, I guess that would be a, a way of living and looking at the world that could make some sense and give you some security if everything turned out well, <laughs> you know, like if everything was happy and, and positive all the time, then that might be attempting to have that theology, but that just isn't the world we live it's in. not reality. <laughs> no, no. I always said I would have, I, I always declared that I would have a nervous breakdown if God was not sovereign, if God was not in control. And it's just funny. It's almost like a dare, you know, yeah, <laughs> to God. Yeah. Like, you have to be sovereign or all my nervous breakdown because of all the the things that I had been through. But 
when you see like amazing people, even God's, you know, like Keith Green, let's take him for instance, and how he he died and the horrifying things that happened to all of us, you know, people that profess to know God or not. um, It just happens. And the stories in your book are just so. Oh, man. The stories that I have received since writing the book, I've got many, many more. In fact, you know what? I've got, um, I've got a little. I could read a few if you want. Um, I've got some here. Um, maybe your listeners would like this. Um, yeah. Well, here's here's a really dramatic. One. I'll start with a really tough one. All right. So this girl who I met in New York um, then wrote me a note after she had read her book, and she she wrote this. If God could, why would he allow two teenage boys to tie me at age eight to a tree to be tortured and raped and then told that I'm defiled and God couldn't love me anymore? Allow that same child to go through an an attempted abduction at 12 to be stalked for years and then raped by a man in your church. I just can't see a God who loves and yet allows children to go through this. I can't see a God who could allow women to be taken into sex slavery and allow children to die of horrific uh, diseases just to teach us greater faith. Pretty powerful stuff. Another one, um, this is a a guy who wrote about his daughter. He says, I want to thank you for uh, the book God Can't. My daughter has a rare and complicated issue that stems from a functional nerve disorder called autonomic neuropathy. If you've seen that movie, Miracles from Heaven, my daughter has a similar condition. Unfortunately, that movie perpetuates the view that we just need a miracle to heal her. And at the movie's conclusion, we're offered the usual lines, if you're suffering, no God is with you, without wrestling with the real implications of that idea. Your view that God can't control my daughter's health situation provides a great sense of relief. A God who influences and lovingly comes alongside everything in my daughter's life to bring about the best possible makes complete sense. God can't force a cure on her single-handedly, but God works in her body and uses various treatments and medications to bring some relief. Thank you for giving me this new perspective. I could I could read many, many more, but I just thought I'd read a couple. Um, you know, I've written or edited 25-some books, and this book by far has received, I've received the most notes like that, people just bearing their soul to me, saying, you know, that they've been struggling with these issues, and now here's a way of thinking about God that helps them to overcome these huge obstacles they've had for loving and trusting God. So amazing. I mean, yeah, you, this book really does give people a way to believe in God if they're slipping like away and they just don't even, they can't believe in the God they've heard about, mm-hmm. you know, and you give them this option to still believe and just to believe in love, like to really believe that God is good, mm-hmm. you know, cause you say somewhere in your book, God's plan does not include evil and all oh, that, that just struck right. me. I, I wrote that down. I don't know where it is in there, but it was just <laughs> so good. Amazing. I mean, at yeah. least, you know, the story you just told, people will hear that sometimes. And until it would hit home, though, 
I mean, they when it happens to someone else, I don't know why it's so it's so sad that that it has to be that way. But when it happens to other people, it's almost narcissistic. It's like when it happens to other people, I don't know. People are just able to believe that that God is still good. Yeah. <laughs> and, but when it happens to their daughter, and their daughter is tied to the tree. Exactly. I mean, that is when the rubber meets the road. <laughs> I mean, yep. that's when it all changes. And, and that happened, you know, when my life with trauma. And I remember uh, something in your book that just, oh, it hit me and I just couldn't believe it. I, I did something called theophostic counseling. And you probably know what that is. It was very popular in the 90s. And um, well, it was it's basically just you with a counselor, you pray and they ask, where was Jesus when this was happening to you? This is mm-hmm. crazy stuff. It's like Brad, Bradley Jersak talks about it. And um, I did, I had like a really traumatic experience and it, it led me to want to, to, to die. I mean, I was mm-hmm. a young teenager and I wanted to commit suicide. I just wanted it to be over. And people think, oh, that's so selfish. Oh, that's this. People don't understand when you're in that state, you think that people are better off if you're gone. You really do. You're you're a burden, and you just you know you just you don't you don't think you're gonna hurt people. You just have to have the pain end. You just it's like yeah. a chemical takes over. Something yep. takes over, and you just want out. And um, I, it was pretty traumatic how I ended up not dying, <laughs> but mm. um, at, after though just having that therapy and in that in that theophostic therapy though they asked me because this traumatic thing happened and I just couldn't deal with it. And I'd had a lot of stuff, but nothing like this. And, and I was, it was years later, it was like five years later, I did this theophostic and she asked, my counselor asked, where was Jesus? And so you pray and you literally envision, you know, you have like this, you're supposed to envision where was Jesus. So there he was with me when this is happening. I look up, I see his face, his eyes have like just swelled tears and he's with me. And I, and I felt so comforted that like, like you say in your book, um, about the empathy and how God is empathetic and how he suffers with us. Mm-hmm. But you also say, you know, it's not quite enough because you give an illustration of a, a man that gets in a car accident right in front of a person. And you like the person walks up to the car and sees the man struggling and they could help him. But they're like, oh, I'm so sorry you're going through this. I feel so bad. <laughs> you know, like, I'm so sorry. But, you know, just sit there and watches when, but you, I think it had to be you that said it, but if Jesus was physically there, it would not have happened. He would have stopped it. But yet he wasn't. <laughs> he said he, he left us his spirit to comfort us. He'd always be with us in that in spirit. But we are his hands and feet, people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, and Calvinists really, I hate to say, it, I always say that, but I'm not talking about all Calvinists, just the way I was. You forget that you are. You forget that you are Christ yeah. to the world. You just, you're just like, he's going to do what he's going to do. And I'm just trying to survive, you know? And yeah. you get into that state where you're just, you know, and, but yeah, it wouldn't have happened if Jesus would have been there, actually. But he was with me and comforting me, but he wasn't able to stop it. And I actually believe that now, instead of just accepting, like, I just told myself, you know, he had it for a greater good. Just like you were talking about Johnny Erickson Todd in your book and that. And she's one of my favorite people in the whole world. And when you, <laughs> and you said, oh, when she actually, someone asks her, are you saying God was punishing you? And she says, yes. Yeah. Hebrews 12, 6. You know, I'm his child and he was punishing me for sin. And I thought, 
well, Jesus was supposed to take our sin. So yeah. why did she think that he punished her? And it was just, it was so mind blowing. All of this for your whole book is still like my mind is still blown. <laughs> it's all in there. And it's just like little pieces keep coming to my mind at different times. I'll be washing my dishes and I'm like, oh, you know, something else. <laughs> and it's a great, great book. It really is. It, it'll be great for, for people that are just at the end of that. And that's so many people. There's so many broken people. This whole podcast I'm, I'm doing is for broken people. And yeah, and I know people are like, well, I don't want to stay broken. You don't want to, you know, I don't want to say you're broken. But what about when you are? <laughs> Right. <laughs> when you right, really right. are and you, yep. you feel like you are, you, you know, you know, you're trying not, you don't want to be, but you are right. and yep. you're forever changed. Some people are forever changed by trauma and trauma yep. is the gift that keeps on giving. It doesn't forget. And and you can hit you. I mean, you can go years, you can go a couple of years sometimes without any triggers. I don't know about years. I'm not, I never really counted to see how long <laughs> I went without. <laughs> But it can hit you out of nowhere. You can see something. You can smell something. You can, it just happens and it's panic. You know, you're just, you're not like other people. I hate to say that when, when something really traumatic happens to you and you do feel different. And so a book like this, oh, it'll be just, it's just wonderful. I love it. And oh, I was telling, so happy. telling the guest I had on before this, that she's amazing. And I told her, I go, even if this, I was telling her about you right on the podcast. And I said, even if this isn't true, I have to believe it. I just have to believe it. So I'm going to get through life. I have to believe that this is, you know, that God is like this yep. before I needed to believe you. Well, I guess I needed the box I was in before to be safe, but what it ended up doing was giving me panic attacks and anxiety and stress and depression that would never lift. Yeah, <laughs> it would never yeah. lift. And it feels like it's finally lifting, and it's just wow. Good, good, good. Thank you for writing it. You know, you know, I the ideas in the book, um, I think, help people to get past the notion that God either caused the horrible things that happened to them or even allowed it. But then, part of the book is how are we going to think about God as a healer? And uh, mm -hmm. you mentioned trauma because a lot of people deal with trauma, and I do as well. Uh, our trauma can come in different forms and last for you know different lengths of time. Some people never get over their trauma, and so the question is: Well, you know, God is so loving. Uh, why doesn't God just snap of the finger, fix things, and end trauma for everybody? And so part of the book is explaining how healing works. That God is in the business of trying to heal but uh, can't do it single-handedly. And that's why we still have to wrestle through the healing process as we deal with our trauma. Mm -hmm. That restoration part is really important. It is. And I love how you bring it all together like that. You, you cover, I feel like you cover everything in here. And I'm just like, <laughs> and I felt like it was so complete. It was very thorough and helpful. So helpful. And I want everybody to read it. I really do. Oh, and, it, and at first, I know when I heard it, I really was intrigued on the podcast, but it's just so hard to believe like that that could be, yeah. you know, true. And even some of my friends that I've had listened to it, uh, there were one that just it kind of kind of accepted it. She was just like, I'm a counselor. And she played it for some counselor 
you know, other counselors at her office. And she's just like, oh, we almost have to believe this way because of what we've seen and heard. Yeah. And I have some friends that kind of, they grasped it a little bit. They're just like, oh, I don't know. I just, you know, it's just hard. It's hard for people, especially reformed, which is a lot of my friends have come from that background. And they're just, it's so, it's so different than what we've been with, what's been pounded into our heads for so long. Well, I think I think your process is probably uh, something we might suggest to others. You know, you said you read the book and then you listened to it. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't expect everybody to read the ideas and like instantaneously see how everything fits together. Most people have to mull it over. They have to ponder it. They have to work through their questions. And so going through the book a couple of times or even in a small group, I think can help people in that process. It does take time. And I know it was spring break when I first, because I remember where I was when I first heard it. it was like just very impactful. And, and that was, you know, spring and here we are in the fall. So it was months, months of just the reading at first and then listening and just, I don't know. And I'm still, like I said, it's all in there. It's all in my head and I'm still working it out yes. little by little it's come to me. It's crazy because I was thinking about today as I thought about all of this i'm like we're told in first john that god is love and paul tells us in first corinthians what love is he he names it patient kind does not envy it's not rude doesn't boast not self-seeking and all of these things like that god's telling us what love it always protects always trusts always hopes always you know perseveres and never fails meaning never stops you know just keeps loving and and that is how God is. God is love. And Paul's telling us what love is, but yet we don't, you know, we just don't. And, and Jesus is so different than, I hate to say, the old covenant God and the, they call it the warrior God, the monster God. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, they're not even, they don't even resemble each other. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So he came to show us. So I, w- I would think he should trump everything you know that's what i think too yeah he kept saying like you've heard it said but i tell you this you've heard this said but i tell you this and it was upside down so upside down and i know like peter ends work i mean i he the way he explains how god lets his children tell the story and the ancient world and just puts it all together in a way that has you know it's just unheard of for me that i'd never heard of and it just that was mind blowing too. All of this coming together is—it's a different way to look at things, and it's, a, yeah. it's such a more relational way to see God. It's I totally agree. Way. Yes, and it, it makes a difference. I mean, if it's going to be the way of love, it's going to be the way of relationality. But you know, you bring up mm-hmm. something that I think also is difficult for a lot of people to work through conceptually. Uh, I know it was difficult for me when I began the process. And that is, um, you know, we have the Bible, and the Bible says a lot of things, and some of those don't seem to mesh very well together. And so, um, you know, we have this this Bible that people call the Word of God, and, you know, it's inspired by God and all those sorts of things. And then when we see portraits of God that are a God of steadfast love, who always forgives, uh are stand in contrast with other portraits of God in the Bible, a God who's, you know, gets angry and smites people and that sort of thing. Um, You have some choices on your hand. One option is to say, 
all of these portraits are true. Therefore, God sort of has a split personality disorder, you know, can really be pissed off some days and hurt you bad, but other days be kind and loving and forgiving. And it's kind of like your drunk stepfather or something like that. Um, just yeah, not, expect. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or you can say, uh, look, maybe some of these images aren't correct in Scripture. Maybe people are trying to describe things and they get God wrong sometimes. And that makes a lot of people super nervous. And then they say, okay, well, then how do I decide which are correct or more truthful and which are less truthful? And your principle of taking Jesus as our primary lens is a really important way of helping people work through that. Now, I don't think it's just Jesus. I think the Old Testament speaks a ton about the steadfast love of God. But um, I think Jesus is our best image, our best revelation, the best lens through which we can look to try to th wrestle with these uh, contrary, perhaps even contradictory portraits of God we sometimes get in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And I know some people do that because 15 years ago at Malone College in a Bible class, I remember I was the Calvinist and, and I was rare there. And the teacher himself didn't even know the five points of Calvinism. He was deferring to me the whole time. Oh, what about what's Calvinism? <laughs> and, and what's really funny is, of course, I'm in the front row, right? I'm like ready to, you know, I remember them asking us, like, why are we even here? And I'm like, to study the nature of God. And just, yeah. oh, I was doing something. And I remember in the back, there were these open theists. And they would say stuff. And I just, we would fight back and forth a little bit. Uh -huh. and they were so kind. I remember them being so kind, and I was, I was just—I uh, thought yeah. I knew everything. I really thought I knew everything. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were crazy. I remember thinking, "You people are absolutely crazy." I've never heard of this. And, you know, and the, the teacher, though, he knew. I mean, he was more like them. And oh. I remember him. I brought up, you know, I create evil. I'm the Lord, yeah. and I create evil. Everybody, you know, pretty much gasped together, yeah. like, "Well, I'm not creating evil." And I'm like, "Well, it's right here," you know, and <laughs> oh, it was just. Interesting how it's interesting how things can just change. Yeah, oh, Lord. yeah. He has a sense of humor. I know God has a sense of humor because that's yeah. just so funny. And well, I, know, I changed like, as well. You know, I was never a Calvinist, but I was a fundamentalist when I was younger. And so I had a particular view of the Bible, of an inerrant Bible that was totally consistent. And uh, I got in lots of arguments myself. Uh, and so, you know, I, I never was a, a five-point Calvinist. My father taught that to me when I was a kid because he grew up in the, in the Dutch Reformed tradition, and so they taught it to him. But he didn't teach it to me like, you know, this is the absolute truth. He taught it to me like, okay, here's one way of looking at things. Yeah. But I, I was always, I was always um, my intuitions about free will never meshed with the Calvinist view. And so I was never totally attracted to it. That's great. Like you didn't want to be a robot. You really wanted, yeah, to be free. And, yes. and that's the funny, I started out that way and I don't know what happened, but I just surrendered <laughs> yeah. to robot, you know, zombieville, I call it. Cause just, it's so sad to think that way. It really is. And, and when you say you were a fundamentalist and then I remember you, you had like an atheist time and it's funny mm -hmm. because you, you mentioned how it was like you were engaged to your wife and you, you know, you tell her, well, I don't think I believe in God anymore. <laughs> and it's yep. like, you know, 
know, this is like right before the wedding, you know. <laughs> like, wow. I mean, yeah. she married for love because she loved me. <laughs> you know, if you believe in God or not, which is so great because my poor husband, I, dr- I grilled him on our first date. He had to be a Calvinist, you I know. Love it. It's so funny because I know he wasn't, but he had heard Alistair Begg preach at Cedarville. He went to Cedarville College. Oh, huh. <laughs> came in and he had, you know, explained the whole reform doctrine. And my husband says that he believed it, but I really don't even think he actually knew <laughs> <laughs> what it was, but he had been a Christian his whole life. And, you know, he was raised in a Christian home and, you know, walked the line. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the entire line up to the wedding day. He, he was, yeah, he was evangelizing the neighborhood at five years old. And, but uh, I, I think he knew enough to kind of like say the right thing yeah. <laughs> to get the second date or whatever. But that's so sad that I was like that. But yeah, oh wow! <laughs> I thought that was so great when you were, you know, talking about how you you told your wife that I don't really think I believe in God anymore. Was it what brought you up to like to that point? Because um, I think you were at Campus Crusade or you were. Yeah, I, I had been involved in camp. Yeah, Campus Crusade. Uh, it, that wasn't what brought me to that point. What brought me to that point was a combination of things, but especially a course that I took at my college that required us to read uh, really smart atheists and agnostics and folks from other religious traditions. And, uh, you know, I wanted to take them seriously and their arguments were really strong. And I realized, you know, my arguments don't hold up to these, at least not in the way that I thought they could. And so it was really just for the sake of intellectual honesty that I decided I couldn't believe in God anymore. Um, It wasn't like I was mad at the church. I mean, there's always hypocrites, but, you know, that wasn't the issue. It wasn't like I was trying to be rebellious and sow my wild oats or something like that. Uh, It was really my earnest search for what I thought was most true and right that led me away from belief in God because the reasons I had didn't make sense, but then also led me back to faith in God. And, and really there were two major issues uh, early on. One was my search for meaning. I couldn't grasp how anything could be truly meaningful or ultimately meaningful if there wasn't something like a ground for meaning that most people call God. And then secondly, I had these intuitions that I ought to be a loving people, a person, and that other people ought to be loving. You know, there's something right about love. And those intuitions didn't make sense if there wasn't some source for those intuitions. And again, that source is what most people call God. And um, so that kind of brought me back to thinking, well, I guess... It makes sense to believe that there's a God. I don't know for sure, but it uh, seems plausible. And then for yeah. quite a few years, I had a really thin theology. You know, I believed that there was a God. I thought Jesus was pretty cool, and that was about it. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, it reminds me of C.S. Lewis and his struggle. Like, he, he was mad at God for not existing. <laughs> I mean, he could not believe in him. It was just like, he, you know... And he, he yeah. tried, but he was like, oh, then he was mad at God for not existing. And that was so funny. <laughs> I, I love his stuff so much that he was so authentic and just struggled like so many people do. And, and a lot of his viewpoints, people don't even know that are, are do not match evangelicalism at all. Right. <laughs> but people give him a 
podcasts all the time. They do. They're because, you know, he's C.S. Lewis. So we're not going to question. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to let that go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, and, you know, not everybody gets that free pass. That's for sure. And they can be people in, can be very ruthless. And they question your salvation. I remember a friend, I was struggling and, and depressed. And I had this friend ask me, are you still saved? And I was so taken back by it. I was so taken back by it. I was like, what do you mean? You know, because I was, I was also, the last five years of my Calvinism, I was a free grace. Um, you know, I don't know if you've read Absolutely Free by Hodges uh, or not. Yeah. Like, it's the rebuttal to John MacArthur's um, gospel according to Jesus. It's oh. just... Uh, this, you know, versus lordship salvation, free grace versus lordship salvation. So I believe free grace was a slippery slope. Ultimately, what I think of it, I had free grace first, and then the ragamuffin gospel, and then reading that, you know, living Bible that was just like yeah. so in, you know, language, and I could actually understand it. And it's just a process, but it's just amazing. I don't know. That's great. Yeah. He wants a relationship with us, though. He really, you know, when it, it talks about Jesus wept and Jesus, you know, had, they have feelings. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And not, yeah. Are they nearest to the brokenhearted and all these things? Oh, it's just, it's amazing. And it's all stuff we know in our heart. Like if you really, if you've been touched and you've actually, Brad Jersak says, have you not met him? I love when he says that. Mm. Have you not met him? You know, and yes, yeah. I have, and I know what he's saying. It's like the, it's almost like that song, "Good Father," where it says, "I've heard oh. thousands of what they think you're like, but you know, but I've felt the tender whisper of love in the dead of night." And it's so true. I mean, for all of us that have experienced it, and the ones that haven't, I know he's, I know he's trying. I know that they just aren't aware of it. You know, because I know I lived my life like that and as a kid and I'd have moments like where I was close to God and even young, but then it would, you know, pass. And then I'd, I don't know, still small voice was there. And then the night that I um, was going to try to commit suicide, I was planning it. It was, it was a done deal. And my brother had, this is the silliest thing, but he tossed a track into my bedroom, a Bible track. Mm. And I, uh, and he had been more, like my brother was, my, I come from um, a pretty dysfunctional home and my dad struggled with alcohol and he hasn't drank in over 30 years. It's amazing. But um, at the time, my brother was going down that same path, drinking mm. heavily and he was on the couch listening and it was Pat Robertson of all people. And <laughs> my brother, my brother got saved. Okay. Saved. Uh -huh. He came knocking on my door and I'm like, go you know i cussed at him i'm like go back to bed you blankety blank or whatever yeah and he's like i'm saved i'm saved mick i'm saved and i'm like whatever you're drunk and so after that he changed 180 my brother like gave away his car i mean there's just all wow. this crazy stuff i change he went from being just i won't even say <laughs> he wouldn't <laughs> want me to but to this amazing like just christ-like sweetheart and and it, it really struck me. I was like, what happened? You know, it was it was almost like he either had a nervous breakdown <laughs> or there's a God. Yeah, so and yeah. then, tried to, you know, he tried to tell me about God. And I had just been through the most horrible experience. And I was self-destructing so fast. Uh, I mean, everyone could just see it, but no one could stop it. And um, 
I was home alone one night and that was it. I had planned it and it was a mess of a room and it was 1990. I was literally sitting on the edge of a waterbed. I looked down, there's this little track and it's looking, it, it was upside down actually, but I remember it said, do you know for sure? You know, the whole, e, it was yeah, E.E. Yeah. yeah. I opened that book and just read it and bawled my eyes out and I don't know, something, there was truth in there because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, you know, and, and I know that God had been, I don't know, drawing me or something and I don't know, I felt it and then I didn't do it. I did. I just went to sleep and and I remember telling my brother when he came home, instead of, it's so horrifying to think that they could have come back and found me like that. But instead, yeah. my brother, I told him that I had said the prayer, you know, <laughs> said that magic prayer. And yeah. then he, uh, the next day we went, it was like a day or two later, we went to church and everybody was hugging me and I didn't understand what happened. But, huh. and, it, and it wasn't like for my brother, he was an instant change. I was not like that. Yeah. It took years. Of, I didn't, I didn't. I believed, but I didn't know this God. And so I didn't right. trust him. You know? And he, he showed himself to me, though. I can't explain it, but he did. And then eventually I, you know, trusted him more. But then I went right into, you know, fundamentalism and Calvinism and all these yeah. systems. Well, I assume like, that's what you were exposed to, you know. I mean, a lot of people go that direction because it's the only thing they really know. It's the only alternative they have. Um, and mm -hmm. it's better than what they came from. So they think it's, you know, the way they ought to go. But I think you're, Plus you, you know, have this, go ahead. I was saying you have this experience. Right. You really do feel changed. And right. So like, you know, it's true. So then the yep. first thing you hear, you're like, well, this is it, <laughs> you know? Yep. yep. But I, I love your story um, and your brother's story. And I think of my own story. When we look back on our lives, we can see, things that make us believe God was acting and we were responding. But we can also see things that we're kind of embarrassed of now, you know, like we thought these certain things or we had these convictions or we acted a certain kind of way. And um, it's easy for some people to become so embarrassed on what they did in the past in the name of Jesus or whatever, that they're uh, no longer engaging in faith in a really... Uh, a vulnerable way. And I, I like to think that the transformation that we've been through and the process we're still going through is evidence that God can overcome even the, <laughs> the stupid obstacles that we put in our way or other people put in our way or just were the only things that we knew at the time. Um, I think that in and of itself is a powerful witness to the transforming love of God. Yes, it's so true. And if people just would remember Christ and his and how he acted and what he was like too, mm -hmm. it would help so much because it's so much about Paul said this, and Paul did that, and and you know I'm fighting with somebody on Twitter about the whole you know women be silent thing, mm, and he's yeah. you know, shutting me down hard with like different verses, you know, just um, clobber verses, yeah, and. Like, don't forget about Jesus. You know, yeah. you, you, you I said you wouldn't even know he was raised if you know women didn't talk or say stuff. And oh, he yeah. it said something like, "Well, we go through a donkey too." And basically, yeah. I'm a donkey. <laughs> I was just like, "Oh, <laughs> I, I don't know." They even have shirts now. Did you see the shirts? Go home. No. Hashtag no. go home. Yeah. Oh, really? Shirts now. Yeah. That's bad. That's so 
yeah. that's not. I mean, even when that panel of men, I've said this so many times on a podcast I was on and the one I just had, that if Jesus was sitting up there with John MacArthur that day, I know he had only two words. And I realized he was put on the spot and he had yeah. two words to say to Beth Moore. But come on. Yeah. <laughs> if, if Jesus was sitting there next to him, you think he would have said, go home? No, he would no, not have said it. No. And, you know, it's like, but we all, I know we all make those mistakes. And I know I have, I would have been in that crowd. I would have been in the crowd cheering. The women's voices that you hear cheering just are so eerie, but you know, yeah. I would have been right there with them. I yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. So anything can happen if um, cold hearted Calvinists like me can turn. <laughs> and it is possible because I really was very hardcore. And I even have, I even have, um, genealogy that is very interesting i have paperwork genealogy trail it's just it's surreal because my from my maternal side my grandma my mom my grandma luther martin luther katarina huh. goes right back to luther wow and I'm, I'm the 12th i mean he's my 12th grandfather and times 12 you know great yeah 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 but so it's literally that worm theology. I feel like is literally in my blood. <laughs> well, you're you can break that break that uh, chain. You can the generational. Yeah, <laughs> when I read, like I know it was medieval times, but he flogged himself. I mean, he he yeah. tortured himself, and he felt you know he struggled so much with with uh, I think scrupulosity, religious scrupulosity, and depression, mm. and just. But he was so amazing too. And of course, you know, she was so amazing as wife. And, um, but I sometimes feel like I can be very self depreciating. And there's a lot of, mm. I believe, a lot of mental um, illness and just a lot of stuff in our, our family line. Mm -hmm. So I know I hear Luther's name every day. Like I'm in theology, you know, groups. And that's my, that's where I live. That's my life for the last 20 years. And I'll, I'll hear his name every day. And it's mm. not always good stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I'll tell yeah. you that. And I one time broke down in tears. Somebody was just going on about how bipolar and psycho he was. And I'm just like, oh. And so I know that I say that stuff. I've said things about Calvin. I've said things about Johnny Mac. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> I know I don't need to be like that either. I don't want to be like that. Yeah. But I just have this, I have this thing about advocacy, though, and, and sticking up for the, the ones that don't have a voice. And I want to protect the victims and protect. So I can't Good just for be you. all grace, grace, you know, <laughs> I have to, yeah, there has to be a balance between grace and truth because, or well, maybe grace, grace is that though. Maybe grace is standing up for the broken. I mean, I don't think grace means sort of extreme tolerance. Everything goes turn you know, blind eye. I think grace is acting out in the name of love on behalf of those who are hurting and broken and, and protecting those who can be protected. So, yeah, I, I'm going to challenge your use of the word grace. <laughs> I love that. I can like the word again. Yes, I, I love it because it has been like they call I That's what I call cheap grace when yeah. people use it like that. And yes. just let, you know, guilt, like let people keep hurting people. I mean, I know that the Lord is the judge and he's going to make, you know, he's going to figure it out. But I, here on earth, we have to protect, we have to protect people, you know, right, right. and that's why, you know, you, you want to give grace. And if somebody 
makes a mistake and you want to forgive, but it doesn't mean you let them serve in the nursery or, you right, know, like exactly. you know, yes. those boundaries are really important. And you're right. Those boundaries are love. You're loving yeah. that person and society as a whole and yourself. Everyone, yep. God is being honored too, because people aren't just allowed to abuse. And but that's the thing though. If you have a God who is okay with like, you know, kill them all and keep the virgins for yourself, you know, and <laughs> dash the children's heads on the rocks. You know, yep. if you have that, your if your warrior God is the one you believe in, that's how you're going to act. Yeah, you're going to you know? be inclined that way, that's for sure, or at least not uh, not object when other people do it in the name of God. Yeah, you're not, because what can you say? I mean, God is saying to, and that's why when Jesus kept saying, "You've heard it said, eye for an eye," but I tell you this, I tell you. And no one wants to talk about that. Like somebody asked, I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was maybe even podcast you were on and they were talking about um, the Texas or something while they have the 10 commandments. And they said, would you guys ever want to put the Beatitudes out? And I'm like, what? This is Texas. <laughs> no way. <laughs> the Ten commandments. <laughs> you know, we don't want the Beatitudes. We don't want to turn the other cheek. And, you know, all that. Yeah. So, yeah. We could just be more like Jesus. I actually played that song yesterday, Keith Green. I want to be more like Jesus, and that's uh, not my style of music. Is very rock. I'm a I'm a rocker chick. Yeah, <laughs> I have alternative rock, and I like all music. But that Keith Green. I remember when before I was a Christian, Christian music like stung my ears. It hurt my ears. Huh. I remember that it just it was like it was like nails on a chalkboard. But I know after. <laughs> After that night that I talk about where I had that, it was, I call it a mystical experience now. It's yeah, just like yeah. Jesus was there with me. And all of a sudden, like Keith Green, it was music to my ears. That, that stuff was music to my ears. Uh, uh, it was like I was changed, you know, yeah. and I don't know. I can't explain it. It's not something you can really explain. You want to, but I don't know. It's hard to do. But you sure did a great job in your book. I don't know how you did it, but... You were able to, I mean, I kept thinking, he's covering everything here. Uh, <laughs> like every question. And I I'm love happy it. you like, think so. I'm happy you think so, Michelle. And a lot of people are going to be helped by it. And like you said, you're getting a lot of feedback and people are coming to you. And that's great. I have. Yeah. So I sent you a message too. I was like, this book, I was like, thank yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's really touching a nerve. It's, it's, maybe that's the wrong analogy. It's a, it's a healing balm for many. Mm -hmm. And uh, consequently, I'm getting invited to speak in such diverse places, uh, you know, seminaries, churches, universities and colleges, uh, institutes and organizations. Yeah. And so um, it's really gratifying. Actually, there's one group of people that I would especially like to reach that I haven't been able to do so. Um, and that's the sort of therapist and counselors group. Mm -hmm. um, so if any of you or your listeners have some suggestions about that, I'd love to hear them. Yeah. And I, I would think that they would, I would hope they'd be able to embrace these thoughts, just at least have an open mind. Yes. To it. I know sometimes I know as a being reformed, there were certain key words, like things that we've said on this podcast, I would have shut it off by now. Uh, <laughs> at the time when we were like questioning the way the Bible, like the people in the Bible, I mean, right. they're, they're people, they are people. He lets them 
be who they are. And he, you know, like even like the Vikings, where they would talk about, you know, all their gods and everything. I mean, people talk about their God that way. That's how they saw God. Yep. And, and Jesus said, I am like God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Yep. But yep. I would just Preach it, sister. Preach it. I am home, but yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much. And I I was going to ask if you could pray to that God that we've been talking about this whole time at the end. Pray. You know, before I pray, I'd actually like to talk just a little bit about prayer from this God can't perspective or an open relational perspective because. To me, this perspective like helps me make sense out of prayer. So, okay. to do that, let me um, let me contrast it with a couple of other ways that people see God, and then you know pray out of that particular theology or that particular vision of God. Um, the people who think that God controls absolutely everything. <clears throat> It's really hard for me to understand petitionary prayer from that perspective, because uh, God has not only foreordained everything, but God foreknows everything, and even their praying is something God has controlled them to do. And so, uh, to ask God to do something different than what God has already foreordained and foreknown makes no sense to me. So, petitionary prayer, at least from that perspective, I think is a non-starter. I think most people, even Calvinists, who say they believe in a predestining God, most people have a different view of God. They think that God might respond to their prayer. They think that God has the kind of power to single-handedly do whatever God wants to do, heal or not heal, you know, punish or not punish. And so from their perspective, praying and asking God to do something might in some way encourage God to do something God might not otherwise have done. But the problem with that usual view of God is that it's if you think about it for very long, it doesn't make a lot of sense because you're basically saying this God is a God of love who knows everything perfectly. Um surely this God would do what is right and loving, even if we didn't pray. Like, you know, if is God sort of sitting back, arms crossed, saying, you know, unless you pray to me 37 times, I'm not going to act. Well, that's that's not the kind of God who's, you know, always acting for the good at all times and places. Um, and so that view of God, I think, makes petitionary prayer Uh, At least it doesn't motivate me to pray and ask God to do things. But from the God can't perspective or the open relational perspective, this God can't fix things single-handedly. But unlike many views of God, this God is actually influenced by what we do. And because we live in an interrelated universe, one action has an effect on others, including God. So our prayers can actually open up new possibilities and new opportunities for God to act that just may not even have been there had we not done something, prayed or acted or whatever. So in my way of thinking, the God can't view 
overcomes the problem of thinking God is, you know, arms crossed, waiting for us to work hard enough, even though God could fix it single-handedly. It overcomes that problem. And it also overcomes the predestining, foreknowledge, foreordaining kind of view that says, you know, God's already got things figured out and made up. It says our prayers, they don't control God and they don't even allow God to be controlling, but they make a real difference upon God and upon ourselves and the world. And therefore, new things just might emerge because we prayed. Um, So I try to keep that in mind when I pray. I try to pray prayers that aren't asking God to do things that would be controlling in some ways. And oftentimes I ask for wisdom in knowing how I should respond to the world around me. I ask for wisdom and knowing how I should respond to difficulties I'm facing, but also uh, ways that I might be proactive in helping those who are in need or uh, meeting some sort of concern in the world. And then, of course, I think God is the author of all love and truth, and so I think it's appropriate to give thanks to God because God is that kind of uh, source of, of, um, of goodness. So in light of that, how about if I pray? Oh, that's just so amazing. I'm like, uh, that life actually matters, and we actually have, like for me, being you know the Calvinist mindset for so long, I mean, I don't know how most Calvinist prayer lives are, but <laughs> I can tell you mine was pretty much not. It was just always help me, help me, please, yeah. you know, begging. begging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's last words where we are all beggars, mm. you know, so it was always just begging. And like you said, if you get one more 37 people or one more person, let's get a prayer chain. One more person is going to yeah. make the difference. And God's yeah. going to do something. And that's mainly prosperity gospel types, you know, that that stuff they're actually actually praying and like thinking that god can and maybe will do something but in the reformed world it was just like you know if he chooses to he will if it's your will lord you know we're gonna pray just because you tell us we should we're gonna evangelize because you command us to everything is all just we have to exactly so it's not like because we want to we actually want a relationship with him it's like uh having to do go through motions and not really feel Yep. You know, yeah, that's and well that's, put. Think about how well that goes in a relationship like a marriage. That doesn't go so well. Exactly. <laughs> when people are <laughs> yeah. because they're told to, you know, it's just not, not even, I don't know. You know, you're, this you're saying that about, you know, from the perspective of, uh, of those who think God is all controlling, you're basically just obeying God. Uh, and that's, mm-hmm. you know, it reminds me mm-hmm. of, two songs that I used to sing as a little boy in Sunday school. One, I think is a good Calvinist song. And the other one is, I think is a good open and relational song. <laughs> the Calvinist song is trust and obey, trust and obey. Cause there's no, no other way. way. <laughs> <laughs> and the, uh, <laughs> the open relational one is beloved. Let us love one another for love is from God. And everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. The one that lo- doesn't love, doesn't know God because God is love. I think wow. that's, that's a very different way of thinking about not only how we ought to act, but how our lives really do make a difference to God and to the world. It sure is different. I mean, the, the one is so, I mean, a lot of it is so fear-based too, and mm-hmm. there's supposed to be no fear in love. So that never mm-hmm. made sense. 
Mm-hmm. But that other one, I don't even know that song, and I'm not surprised. Oh, really? <laughs> I oh, I, I, I wasn't I, singing it because I, I thought you might know it. All right, I'm not a well, good oh, singer. Yeah, but, oh, wow. Maybe, maybe I did, but I don't. I, it didn't sound familiar <laughs> to this Calvinist girl. <laughs> but that other one I sure knew. <laughs> Trust and obey. Uh, There's no other way. <laughs> That's hilarious. I really liked that other song. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. Oh. Well, let me pray for you and for me and for all of us. God, we're so grateful for your love. And we want to commit again right now to respond appropriately, to respond well to the call of love you have in our lives. Thank you for empowering us to love, inspiring us to love. And as we think about our own lives and the lives of others who are hurting, who are looking for uh, opportunities to to improve our lives or the lives of others in some way. Give us wisdom, God. Give us wisdom to know how to discern how best to act as you uh, speak to us and draw us near in each situation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You fix